We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today, we've got a dispatch from SEC Media Days in Nashville. Talk to Michael Borky on Monday evening. He and the Sports Talk Mississippi crew are there for the week to talk a little bit about the new setup as this is the first time they uh, visit Nashville and becoming a traveling event. What to make of uh, the first day? So the first day, I believe, was A&M, Jimbo Fisher, LSU, Brian Kelly, and Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou. But we also got into some general topics around the SEC. What Lane Kiffin might say, Quinshawn Judkins' first real kind of coming out media party. Um, really kind of the first time he's really talked on a national stage. And uh, some other stuff in between. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the podcast. Before we get to that, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. The podcast is now brought to you by C Spire, a new partnership with the Rippy Rights Podcast. Thrilled to bring C Spire on board. The way businesses collaborate is changing. C Spire Voice with WebEx gives your organization the tools to stay ahead. Call, meet, and message on any device, anywhere from one secure cloud-based platform. The last few years have shown just how vital remote is remote work is for businesses of all sizes. But you also want to protect your organization from cyber threats. That's why CSpire Voice with WebEx has enterprise-grade security built from the ground up. So you can enhance how your teams work together in and out of the office, all with the reliability and scalability that traditional business phone systems just can't offer. Learn more at C- about what CSpire Voice with WebEx can do for your organization at cspire.com slash Seaspire, customer inspired. Also, check out their home internet. I have their home fiber internet. It's 2023. You can't be going with bad internet. I do the podcast with Seaspire internet. If it went in and out all the time and was not reliable, this wouldn't be a very good podcast. But thanks to Seaspire, I never have that problem. It is the most reliable internet on the market. Should there an issue arise, they'll have a technician come out to your home within 24 hours. But it is the most reliable and stable internet. On the market, check them out. Seaspire customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. That's right, Rent the Sip Oxford, good friend of the podcast, Bracken Ray. His Turnberry unit, located less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus, can be your place to stay, whether you're passing through Oxford, whether it's a big game weekend, whether you're there for move-in, orientation, rush. It can be tough to find a place to stay in Oxford, particularly on bigger weekends. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit has you covered, though. It will 
Sleep 8 comfortably. It's got amenities such as a pool, sauna, and tennis courts. It's gated. It's great for games, orientation, rush, parents weekend. Still availability for the Mercer ULM Vanderbilt football weekend. Still available for orientation. Still available during throughout rush week. And still available for moving week. And hey, maybe you just don't want to deal with the hotel and you're passing through Oxford for a night or two randomly. You need to check it out at rentthesipoxford.com. You can go online, check availability. If you listen to this podcast, you can get the Rippy Rights discount. That's 100 bucks off any two-night stay minimum. So go online, book your stay, type in Rippy Rights, and you'll get 100 bucks off a two-night minimum stay. It's a great place to stay, less than a mile from campus, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught-Hemingway, and, of course, walkable from the Grove as well. Need to check them out just there off Taylor Road. RentTheSipOxford.com. If you have any questions, feel free to email Bracken, B-R-A. A-C-K-E-N at rentthesipoxford.com. Book your stay before they fill up because football season's coming up and they will be filling up fast. So that is, once again, rentthesipoxford.com. All right, here is our man Michael Borky on uh, what he's seen at SEC Media Days. All right, we now welcome on Super Talk Do It All, man. Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 every Monday through Friday. This week, coming at you from SEC Media Days, I had to get some sort of SEC Media Days correspondence on the show. Uh, you were there as we recorded this on a Monday evening, first day of Hoover just being wrapped up. We'll get into some of what happened today, but by the time most people listen to it, the next day will be happening, and then the next day. So probably just some general stuff. But how is it there first what first year in Nashville, right? They went to Atlanta once before COVID kind of screwed stuff up, and then it went back to Hoover, and now you're kind of moving around. Yeah, first year in Nashville, and the road right in front of the hotel is being – it got tore down and is being rebuilt. And the road was actually like a story up above the ground. And so getting to the okay. hotel is actually a, a pain in the ass, but – uh, no, it's cool, man. I like Nashville. Uh, shocked at how much it's changed since I've last been here. I mean, it's been a few years uh, since I went to Steeplechase, and um, it's like a totally different city in a good way. I mean, I, I like it here. I know that that your your podcast has a lot of Nashville people on it. At least I think it does. And uh, y'all are doing something right here. Uh, it, this is a cool city, man. I really like it here, and, and it's a shame that they're going to do one and done and go to Dallas next year. I think the league office should move here personally, but anyway, yeah. It's uh it, it really is crazy how Nashville's evolved. So I used to go up, my grandparents on my father's side were from there. So we used to go up as kids, I'd go to like Preds games right when they first got the team, where it was like kind of some transplants, maybe a few Preds fans and just a bunch of tourists who didn't really give a shit about hockey. Now it's one of the toughest tickets in town. And just really everything else around it, the downtown and everything else, just to see. I think the last time I was there in 20 or 21, I can't remember which one it was. They were like redoing a large chunk of a terminal at an airport or adding one. I don't know. So it's exploding. But even in the last five, six, seven years, it looks different. But certainly from when I was a kid, it is like remarkably different. But uh, it's all good. That means you're growing. That means good things are happening. The rotation thing's interesting. You made this. We were talking about the setup before we started recording. Sounds pretty much similar um, to what it was in Hoover in terms of just the setup of the actual SEC Media Days event. I would have to imagine – I get why they did the Dallas thing the year Texas and Oklahoma coming to the uh, conference, but don't you think they'll probably end up settling into kind of how they used to do the SEC basketball tournament before they ultimately settled on Nashville? Like it'd be like Atlanta, Nashville, Atlanta, Nashville, mixing in New Orleans, how they did a Tampa a couple years. And I think they realized that quite didn't really work. So do you think they'll eventually kind of move this around and be like, all right, let's find two or three that work and let's just kind of ping pong back and forth from there? Uh I think what they are trending towards doing, because 
there's a concert now with, with media days. They're, they're doing it down the street. Never heard of the band. Oh, I don't wow. care. I'm not going to go. Uh, but I think this is eventually going to be a primetime event. I think it's trending further and further away from a work event and going to become more of a primetime thing. And, and having a concert this year kind of tells me that they're, that that theory is right. And so, I mean, this is a perfect city for this, though. Hoover's fine, and, and the hotel is fine, and it hosted it fine. But it does feel a little bit bigger. And I don't know if that actually means anything. Like, I don't know if our audience, if it feels any bigger to them, it probably doesn't. But being here, it feels more important um, than even the College Football Hall of Fame was really cool. But like the setup was odd, like everything was going on at different floors and it was it was an odd space and it was really tight. This feels like buttoned up and in big time. What I hope it doesn't become, though, as weird as it sounds, is a spectacle. It already is one. But if you're doing like – I've heard people say that they think this is going towards where they do like NASCAR-style introductions for the players. Like they'll have like a stage set up in some like park in the city where, where that kind of stuff goes on. And, and maybe fans will like that. I don't know. I find that so goofy. And I do think that that's where this is headed. It's a, hey, don't hate on the NASCAR introductions. I went to a race in one of the last few weeks I lived in Texas, stumbled in some passes. I've told this story in the podcast before, but right after they got done with the introductions, they shot a human out of a cannon onto like a trampoline yeah. type thing. So like, don't well, knock cool, though, that they're like about to go though. race. You know, this is, here's Eli Drinkwitz and now he's going to have a press conference. It's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't fit what this is actually supposed to be, you know? I already saw them doing the uh, the fight song intros. I think that's a new thing. I don't remember them doing that in the big room that I can recall, but I saw like no, this is introduce the him. it's a big fight song intro. I was like, so it's already kind of the baby steps toward trending that way. And it's so uncomfortable because it, like when the coaches get introduced and it's such a long walk from, from the behind the stage to the podium, it is a very, it's like a 20 yard walk. And after the, the coach gets introduced, it's dead silent. Like it, it is completely totally you know this but for those of you that have never been it's not like people are clapping for the coaches that it's deeply unprofessional yeah the audience is not fans so like it's not like fight song with some applause and singing along to whatever the fight song is it's just this awkward tune blaring before you get asked questions that tiger nobody's doing anything everybody's (laughs) just sitting there like all right brian let's talk about accents you know so kind of last thing on the event of it, obviously for ever since for the last six, seven years, and we've talked about this a bunch, it just it's t- tr- it is trending into a more of a made for TV event, but like it's a, it's useful for like a, a platform and a, and a, a, I'm trying to I mean, radio show. I don't know what word I was trying to get at like you guys. Cause you can sit there all week. You can get interviews. You can have people pop on and off the show. Um, I was actually surprised at how smoothly that ran the one year I did it there where you yeah. can just kind of grab someone from a couple of shows down if they got a break or there's like the players kind of walking through doing the different shows. It was actually fairly easy and entertaining. And like we Neil's up there for Rebel Grove Day. And I would say like he's doing a notebook each day. Obviously, he'll be there for the old Miss Day, the last one. But most of it is to get like podcast interviews and audio. Yes, of course, written content on the site, too. But like the element of it, I guess, that's useful for media now is almost I don't know if networking is the right word, but it's like this pool of you can just provide content for a week or two. You're not actually getting anything out of the players and coaches. It's more so just interviewing other people in general. 
Yeah, very, very little comes out of players and coaches. Although Jimbo Fisher today still won't commit publicly to letting Bobby Petrino actually be his offensive coordinator. And, and, you know, people are wondering if he's just trolling at this point. I don't think that's that's him. I don't think he's a troll and, like, savvy enough to be like that. But he would be doing that to his own fans, which going into a hot seat year, not a good idea. I think genuinely he's just not sure that he's going to let Bobby Petrino be his offensive coordinator in true form. But, no, the, the players, you know, they're coached. They're bringing certain players that, that they know won't say anything. Um, the coaches are, are, are well buttoned up and, and well rehearsed and they come in pushing agendas and, but it is nice to hear from them sometimes, you know, it, it, college football, as I say all the time, does a really poor job of year round marketing. College football disappears uh, for a while and, and the transfer portal has kind of helped bring that back, but that causes angst just as much as it does celebration. You know, it's not a free agency period in the NFL where you know this player is at the end of his contract and you know your team is going to be in on this player. Like Titans fans have had a hell of a last couple of weeks uh, pursuing uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, but college is kind of anxiety driving. Uh, they need to do more stuff like this because it's July. We're still, what is it, five Saturdays still without Ole Miss football, for example. And so there's nothing going on but you want to engage people as best you can. And Lane Kiffin is going to be monotone and coach speaky, and he's not going to tell you anything, but at least you get to hear Lane Kiffin talk about Ole Miss football. And they need to find ways to make that more of a year round thing where other college football stuff is going on because people turn their noses up at this event. But man, as somebody that, that just loves college football the way I do, I'm glad that I get to hear Brian Kelly say that he wishes that they would play 12 SEC games, even though um, that that's not really possible from a scheduling perspective. And if you want to make your schedule harder, uh, then do it. Nobody's stopping you from scheduling 12 Power 5 games. Why, why are you complaining about scheduling when you have control over it? doesn't matter. It's stupid. It's goofy. But at least it's something to consume when uh, the sports calendar otherwise is terrible. couple of highlights from day one. You hit on the Fisher piece of it. A second ago, and that's probably one of the first things I wanted to get to. He got oh so damn close to saying that Bobby Petrino was going to be his offensive coordinator. He got asked about it. He kind of bristled about it at first. He's like, I'm not going to go into schematics. And it's like, oh, people are just asking who's calling the plays, not what plays are going to be called. And then he was talking about Bobby was hired for a reason. Hopefully, like he's, and then he kind of stumbled through, like, hopefully he'll call the game and we'll have suggestions. And he kind of like fumbled through that. And he got that close to saying it without saying it. You mentioned it earlier. No, I don't think he's trolling. I think probably some of it is ego. And like, I think he probably knows that it's in his best interest to let Bobby Petrino take control of the offense and call plays. Chase and I talked about this on the OEP that we recorded Sunday night. I don't think it's a, it's a trolling thing. I just think he'll, I say this. Part of me thinks he's going to do it, but he just doesn't want to say out loud that he'll do it because that would just acknowledge, yeah, I suck, so we're going to give the reins to someone else. Like, And to, in fairness, does it have to be said? Like if Bobby Petrino actually gets to be able to call the plays and Texas A&M turns out to be pretty good, in hindsight, it probably never really had to be said, but it's more of that to me than anything else. It's like, do I really have to acknowledge, yeah, I'm outdated, I suck, so we're letting this this other guy come in and do it, and I'll try not to step on his toes. Yeah, what is interesting to me is that Petrino, uh, you hope, if you're an m fan, which none of you are, you, you hope it fails miserably. 
um, those of you listening anyway. But if you're an AM fan, you hope that Petrino has enough clout to where Jimbo will either A, just let him do it, or B, Petrino can say, no, this is how we need to do it. And if we don't do it this way, we're going to lose football games. And, and Jimbo believes him. But if it was like, with all due respect to him, if it was Kevin Barbe, and I know most people listening to this are like, who the hell is that? Well, that's Mississippi State's offensive coordinator. Uh, he'll he'll get free range because Zach Arnett has no say in the offense, doesn't want it. But if Jimbo Fisher were to have hired Kevin Barbe, would he be as willing to let him have the reins fully of his offense? No, I don't even think we talk about it the same way. It's the fact that it is who it is. Yeah, it's somebody that that despite being an absolute scumbag is, is a brilliant offensive mind. I mean, shoot, man, his offense ran up and down the field at Missouri state in Fayetteville. Like that, that happened. Uh, he did that with far lesser players than what he'll have right now. And so maybe that's, that, that's what happens. But if I'm an AM fan and I hear Jimbo Fisher still be noncommittal about that, I'm so nervous about this season because there's a stretch of games early in this schedule that they can lose four of – they can have three or four losses going into their bye week. That's entirely possible. They go to Miami. Now, they have a better roster than Miami, but you think that Tyler Van Dyke in Miami is just going to be a pushover at home? No, they've got Alabama before the bye week. They struggle with Mississippi State and Ole Miss, even though I think Ole Miss is after their bye, but still. They've got Arkansas and Dallas. It, it, that it, They have to play Auburn, and Auburn's roster isn't ready, but that's a, a game that if you – believe in the idea that freeze is going to win one. He shouldn't and lose one. He shouldn't tell me that. Tell me that he can't lose to Cal in week two and then turn around and beat Texas A&M in week four. I mean, that, that sounds very Hugh freezy. So it could go poorly and unravel really fast on them. And if, if he's not sold on his OC, as we sit here in the middle of July, I would be so nervous because that schedule gets real very fast for them. And the weird part about it is, is this year, you know, last year, they really did just, I think, feel handcuffed by his contract and the financial aspect of it, which is a little bit interesting given what, like, we've come to know about A&M from an NIL and just a donor and a, you know, alumni base size. But this would feel like the year where it's like, all right, let's enough of this contract thing. Let's, let's figure out the money to make this happen if things don't go well. But he also didn't really... I mean, this sounds dumb and probably pretty reading too much in between the lines, but he didn't sound like someone that felt like a dead man walking. Like he still felt like he was a guy that was, you know, somewhat confident, pretty in control of his program. And look, it's a July press conference. You can't read a ton to it. I guess to me, the general feel is a lot different than say 2021 at Orgeron where you're like, oh, well, if they lose it at UCLA week one, which they ended up doing, uh, this is only a matter of when, not if. It doesn't feel quite like that, even though the results were actually worse last year than 2020 LSU off a national title. God, when you say it like that, that's hard to fathom, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was way worse, honestly. They just, like, the, you remember there's some off-the-field stuff with Elgeron, and then the COVID year was just weird in general. But, like, the results were not nearly as bad as yeah. what a colossal disaster last year A&M was. No, and and I'm doing this to myself as well, where, oh, they're, they're just too talented. They're going to win because they're so talented they just have to. Well, how, how many years are we going to say that before that becomes the case? And also, what, what people keep forgetting is, yes, an extremely talented team. The worst recruiting team in the SEC West is perpetually a top 30 in the country recruiting team. 
Mississippi right. State and Arkansas are, are are typically at the bottom of the SEC West in recruiting. Ole Miss not that far ahead on a, a year-to-year average. I know the portal has changed those rankings a little bit, but generally speaking, that's kind of how, how this goes. And sometimes they interchange. doesn't matter. The entire SEC West is a top 30 roster in college football. The entire West. Mississippi State is going to get picked to finish last year soon. They've got 18 returning starters. That's, that's the last place team in the SEC who beat Texas A&M last year. 18 of those guys are back. So when people say they're just too talented, they're just going to win because they're so talented, I talk myself into thinking the same way, and then you realize, well, so is everybody. Yeah, and and then just speaking to the incompetent side of it, to kind of build on that thought, a team last year with the first-year head coach who was talented, don't get me wrong, but had to rely on a ton of transfers, and for the first three weeks of the season, we kind of thought they sucked, and LSU won the West. So A&M, with all that talent, who, uh, shockingly, they did not come close to winning the West last year, if you need a refresher in the standings, I don't think most people listening would do, but like that would speak to the incompetent side. It's like, one, what you're saying is, the margin, like the gap is not very wide. And two, like if there was ever a year for a talented team like that to get it together and win the SEC West, wasn't it last year when Brian Kelly did it in year one? Exactly. Or, or, you know, honestly, I think this year might be that way. Uh, For some reason, man, uh, so LSU went today as well. There's not a ton of confidence from LSU people about this roster being prepared to like, just go win the West and dominate and, and win a national championship. Maybe I'm misreading it, but like we sat next to the ESPN Baton Rouge guys all day and, and we'll be with them all week. But Matt Muscona told his audience, you guys need to be prepared because everybody's going to pick you to finish first. Like that's going to happen. And like he was saying that in a, I'm not sure that they're ready for that yet kind of tone. And, and I found that fascinating. Um, it feels to me, and I hate using this term because this is a very off-season thing, the West does feel really wide open this year. There, there's been an inevitability over the last decade or so where you would just pencil in Alabama. And I know they haven't won the West every year, but that's just, well, Alabama's going to win the West, obviously. I mean, of course they are. It's Alabama who could p- pick a team that may could challenge them on a year and now basis, 2019 but- LSU, whatever other examples there are. And, and it's not even just Alabama and LSU. We talked about AM. They're they're supremely talented. They beat LSU a year ago. Even in Ole Miss, who who had a throw to the end zone to beat Alabama last year. Uh, all the Kiffin Auburn stuff and the collapse at the end of the year and the bowl game being what it was and the egg bowl being what it was. Jackson Dart had a throw to the end zone to beat Alabama with Bryce Young last year, with Will Anderson last year. They, they lose all those pieces. What is it? Five returning starters on offense for Alabama. Yeah. I think that's right. Five returning starters. Uh, yes, I, I understand the recruiting and the roster and all that. But deeply inexperienced team. Currently kind of a mess at quarterback. Replacing both coordinators. Are they gettable? They were gettable a year ago, and that was with Bryce Young. So that answer is yes. And Ole Miss can certainly beat everybody in the West this year. Mississippi State did beat Texas A&M last year. That that happened. They beat Arkansas last year. That happened. They beat Ole Miss last year. That happened. I mean, those those are real things. Arkansas returns an experienced quarterback if he can stay healthy. And 
the second best running back in the West. Like all of these teams, when you look at it, I'm not saying Arkansas can win the division because they can't. Neither can Mississippi State. I don't think Ole Miss can. But in terms of chaos and, and them being bunched together, this year feels to me like this is the best opportunity to have true SEC West parity for the first time in quite some time. Yeah, and building on last year, and that's probably kind of the old Miss fan. I know we talked about this a bunch. Probably kicks themselves a little bit just because the schedule was so much more favorable last year than it was this year. And getting back to the LSU piece of it, I mean, Brian Kelly talked about it today. That was another note I had written down here was it wasn't necessarily him talking about being able to compete for the West. Again, he got asked a question about uh, closing the gap with Georgia in terms of a recruiting and an overall roster talent standpoint. And he mentioned like pretty much just point blank and said, yeah, like we're working to get to where we have a roster that can compete with Georgia on the field and close that gap, as the reporter put it. But he said, is that time right now? He said, no. But like the idea is to get there soon and then prove it on the field. So like he's openly admitting that his roster is not nearly as good as the best team probably in college football, the best program the last two years in college football, and probably still the best team and the best roster in the SEC. And for a team that won the SEC West last year, I just found that a little surprising. I I appreciate the honesty because I think he is being honest. And I think I agree with that line of thinking. And he also didn't say like, we have no shot to win the West. But just that question to me and the way he answered it was very fascinating because he's like, we're still not there yet from a roster standpoint. Which was honesty that you don't hear around here very often. And that's been not not the criticism, but that has been the complaint from LSU people that I heard all day was roster's just not there yet. Uh, from top to bottom, it's not there yet. You got to remember, they they did lose to Texas A&M last year. That, that did happen. They got smoked by Tennessee a year ago. And – Yes, they beat Alabama. True, they did. Um, that ball just just as easily could have fallen to the grass and they lose that game, you know? Uh, so they won the West, and that's a big deal in year one under Kelly, but it's not like it was some miraculous turnaround where they were some unbeatable juggernaut right away and everybody else should be afraid of them. They, they were certainly vincible, if that's, <laughs> if that's a thing. Uh, last year, they just happened to to win the right games to win the West. Yeah, I mean, when is the last time an SEC West champion lost three games by two or more scores in a year? I mean, they lost 40-13 to 13 to Tennessee in Baton Rouge. Of course, the SEC championship can't really hold that against them a ton. They get smoked by Georgia. Um, and then they lost – there was one more in there. Oh, A&M ended up beat them, beating them by double figures. Like, it's just a very right. atypical West champion, and that makes – that sets up for a very interesting year because we'll talk about this ad nauseum and then Alabama will figure out the quarterback thing and just mow through everybody somehow. But it does feel very, very gettable because not only Alabama last year, the quarterback held the glue together and masked a lot of flaws with that team. They're still talented. You just don't have the quarterback there anymore. So I'm, I'm fascinated by it to where it's like, if it's not LSU, then who, like, what does it actually look like towards the top? Cause the rest of it is like first year head coach in Auburn, you know, I don't know what to make of AM till I see it. Ole Miss's schedule looks pretty brutal. Mississippi State, first-year head coach. Arkansas actually seems to be positioned pretty well. I don't know if I love their roster, particularly on the defensive side of the football as much, but at least you got a returning veteran quarterback and a very good running back. Like, that gives you as good a chance to say you got a shot at it, I guess, as any, which is a very weird, weird place to be. Um, really, the, so the last guy that went today was Elijah Drinkwitz. I did not find a whole hell of a lot that he said – to be very interesting. 
I posed a question to Chase the other night. It was like, is he hot seat? And then I was reminded today that he was extended this past offseason, which I guess in this modern day and age of college football doesn't really mean a ton. But that also made me think that I was like, okay, maybe that wasn't as good of a question as I thought. Six and seven back-to-back years in a row. I don't know what that has to look like for it's like, all right, this Drinkowitz thing is working. But it's also not terrible at the same time. Like, I don't know what to make of them at all. I think he's a good coach, but he also got this SEC gig after one year at App State. Granted, it was a damn good one. But, like, I have no idea what to make of them at all. They returned their starting quarterback. That's about all I know about Missouri at this juncture. Yeah, that, that raising extension was bizarre. He's below 500. Um, which made his comments about NIL a couple months ago now, I guess, uh, really rubbed me the wrong way. When, when you get a, a raise, what was it, a $2 million raise in a contract extension when you are below 500 in three years at, at your employer, you can't speak on anybody making money and what that does. Hey, give me a break. But um, the, the only thing that stood out about him to me today was when somebody asked him uh, if he had any thoughts on what AI uh, will do for college football. Okay. And, and his response was, I have no opinion on that. And and I loved it. And I was like, good. You make that question as dumb as it was. Like, what the hell kind of question is that? I, what do you think AI's impact on college football will be? The only thing that you can use AI for right now, anyway, is to craft your statements when a player gets arrested. Like, that's what you use AI for. What, what do you think is going to call plays for you? Uh, I mean, AI in college football. Yeah, I mean, I, the only other thing I could think of is like that. I don't see how AI could. Again, I don't know enough about it. But like, could it? Could AI be the new mystery, uh, mystery analytics book? Where I don't yeah. even know if you'd be allowed to use AI in a game. I'm just grasping at straws here. I made it through. I'd say about eighty to ninety percent of everyone's interview today. But I unfortunately fast forwarded through that, Jim, because I'd have had that at the top of the list. What a profoundly dumb question. Um, I would love for somebody to ask Kiffin that though. <laughs> I, he would be more likely to give you a decent answer, but it would probably be totally full of shit. And I don't mean that as a knock about Kiffin. He'd probably just enjoy the fact that it's like, I'm going to throw some stuff out there and see what sticks yeah. and see if it sounds halfway confident. Cause I don't think he would totally dismiss the whole thing, but yeah, I think the odds of it actually being an answer where you're like, Oh yeah, that makes a ton of sense. is probably pretty slim. Cause I, again, AI helps you write papers and press releases and whatnot. I don't know how that makes you a better football team at least with what I know about AI to this point. We'll get back to Michael Borky in just a second, but I want to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The, the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season coming up. Go ahead and sign up for Skybox's NFL and college football picks. If you're into gambling, you're never going to profit in the long run based off of just your own brain and your own leans before kickoff. Skybox are the professionals. All you have to do is sign up. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go all season. I'd recommend the year-long VIP pass. You can try it for all sports, one particular sport, whatever it may be. You sign up, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. And they'll send you a picks package in a nice color-coded spreadsheet categorized by unit. And boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were by not using Skybox Sports Picks. They're the only way to profit in the long run. They're the professionals. They've done it year after year and proven themselves to profit, to make their clients a profit year after year. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. 
Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, the deal is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. They have all kinds of delicious cuts of meat, outstanding sausages, fresh seafood. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Truly a crown jewel of the town of Oxford. If you haven't been to LB's, you're missing out. Prime grilling season. It's hot outside. Go throw something delicious on the grill and get it from LB's. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Michael Borky. Any We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Other dumb questions. I tried to find a couple today. There's a very corny cinnamon roll recommendation. Whatever. Don't hate it as much with Eli Drinkowitz. Um at 40, ask Greg Sankey about fines for storming the field like a nerd. I saw that. It's like, really, you got to bring that up. Like, I was I, I, part of me thought Sankey was like, really, can we put this to bed? Like, yes, we probably want to stop this, but like, this is just a stick in the mud topic. Um, oh, him? no way. Yeah. 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 Just not a ton of fun, that guy. Um, I did oh, find so- it odd, by the way. So, so Greg Sankey was asked about the collective collective which I don't know how much time you guys have spent uh, talking about that on here with uh, the Grove Collective joining forces with uh, Michigan, Florida State, Southern Cal, Georgia, Tennessee, Penn State. I think that's the other six uh, where those collectives are are trying to, one, they're going to recruit more, uh, but they want to like set guidelines and bylaws to have universal NIL rules. And it's a great idea. And and because Sankey today yet again said the only way to, to, bring in rules and regulations and fix this is Congress. And every time he says that part of me dies inside because you're asking the most incompetent group of fools in this country to fix college football. Like that, even if you get legislation from them, are you sure you're getting one that's going to help you? Because Cory Booker's in Congress. You think he's going to sign off on something that's good? No, probably not considering his, proposals of the past on the very topic so part of me dies inside every time he talks about congress because they're not going to save shit forgive my language but he hasn't spoken to the the collective group yet and i found that odd he said he's right about it but but i mean it's been what a week and a half since that came out don't you think that those groups coming together representing schools in the sec in some cases would have spoken to the commissioner by now. I, 
either they call him or he calls them just to talk about it. I, I, he stood on that stage and said, Congress is our only hope. When you've got an effort of extremely powerful people in college sports and extremely powerful brains in college sports together trying to do something and you haven't even spoken to them yet. I found that odd. I did find it odd. And I wonder if that's something that's coming or is just something he shouldn't have mentioned. I I found that piece of it odd as well. Uh, That's exactly what I was going to bring up next was he's definitely taken the clear stance of Congress is our only hope. I believe he went and spoke in front of Congress at some point. I can't remember exactly when that was. I just remember thinking everyone laughed at Mark Gimmert when he tried to beg for Congress to step in. But when Sankey does, it's a little more palatable. And I, I think there's obviously a million reasons for that. I think Sankey's been a pretty good leader for the most part. Um, I thought he came out looking pretty solid in terms of how the COVID season was handled. But what he yeah, said- Despite that, what the media said at the time, uh, he has built up a lot of capital uh, yeah, talk me. about a 180 from what people thought the day that the Big Ten canceled college football about Greg Sankey to now. He came out looking pretty pretty damn squeaky clean on that one and very, very much more competent than some of his counterparts. I'm fascinated by the whole um, Congress is our only hope because that's clearly the strategy that he's taken. I tend to agree with you in the sense that whenever I hear that, I'm like, well, if they're the only hope, that paints a real bleak picture in terms then of – Then there this- is no hope. Yeah, exactly. So I wonder, like, I wonder what the alternative is, because also at the same time, I think the other piece of the quote he said today, I know he said it a million times, but the courts aren't going to be able to solve all of this and local and state governments are not going to be able to solve this. I actually kind of agree with that piece of it, because I just don't ever think you're ever going to get a fair, just, I don't know if that's the right word, or just uniform ecosystem with a bunch of different state legislation that seems almost poss- impossible to enforce anyway. So on one hand, I'm like, I don't really like it doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies about the future of regulating NIL in the sport if he says Congress is our only hope. But I guess the uh, follow up to that is, is he totally wrong? Because like, what is the other option? Is it just because you are still governed technically by the NCAA? Is it just meeting with those smart people that you're talking about and saying, hey, we're just going to break away from the NCAA? I don't know what the ripple effect looks like. Like, what is the other option? So that's what the smart people got to figure out. But my question is does state law supersede everything like for example if your company has a dress code and says hey when you come to work you got to wear a coat and tie that's our dress code that's that's what you have to wear when you come to work that's part of your um agreement as an employee and state law says no you don't can the company enforce that policy or not that is something that would probably end up in the courts. I would say, I mean, my guess would be that's like, right, if you don't like it, then go work somewhere else. But if it's exactly really- you're you're a voluntary, I mean, stuff like that has been challenged before, right? I'm not. But I'm it's not the fact that pol- different states have different laws is more of the issue. Yeah, isn't it? but but if you're a voluntary member of the organization, then you follow that organization's rules, or at least that's what it should be. And so, if you have to take that to court, take it to court. I mean, the NCAA is a, a billion-dollar-a-year organization on the basketball tournament alone. And they've already fought like hell for, in litigation for all kinds of NIL stuff. Why now have you suddenly just put your hands up and given up? You're a voluntary member of the NCAA. Here's the NIL regulations. Here's how players can make money. But here's how it's going to be regulated to some degree, whether it's making agents register, wh- whatever. 
I know that they're not employees and you have to collectively bargain for employees. That's how the NFL can get around it. But fight it. If you're so concerned about it and you're Greg Sankey, go to Charlie Baker and say, fight it. And we will we'll fight it with you. Get the it's just everybody putting their hands up and saying there's nothing we can do, I think, is a coward's way out. If you think the path that's going down is a wrong one and it's a destructive one, then do something about it. And if you have to go to court to fight it, fight it and 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 keep fighting it. If you think that this is a detriment to the sport, because that is a better option than Congress. I keep going back to that. Even if you get a bill, how are you sure that it's going to be a good one? Because everybody in that place thinks that they're the smartest person out there. And none of them are. Like, almost none of them are. And as a collective body, it is the most incompetent and poorly run thing in this country, I swear. Like, the people that run the country are the the worst possible people doing it. You've got people like Tommy Tuberville, who can't even name the three branches of government. But, hey, he was a football coach, so let's talk to him. But if Tommy Tuberville is like, well, I think we should do this. Well, guess who's going to think the opposite? Cory Booker or God forbid you get AOC involved. And, and, and all think about all of the people that you have to get on board to have a bipartisan bill that fixes college sports that passes. And you're telling me that Greg Sankey's going to get everything he wants there? No shot. Absolutely no shot. And so when he stands up there and says that, ah, nothing we can do. Hand up, nothing we can do. I, I call bullshit. You're just not trying the things that you can do anymore. You've given up. And that to me is a problem. And so when you say fight it in court, are you saying that they like the conferences should fight to govern football, college football the way they see fit? Yes. Do you think that yep. that would put it on an even faster track toward athletes becoming employees and revenue sharing? Because one thing that also came out of today and that Sankey's been pretty clear on for the most part is that he doesn't want them to be employees. I think he used an example of not one single student athlete has said, expressed to me that they want to become employees. And I thought, I was like, oh, there's an interesting bit to unpack there in its own right. I was like, have you ever, like, how many have you talked to? Like, which ones are you well, talking to? Well, Walker Jones uh, said uh, on our show that he hasn't spoken to a single Ole Miss athlete that thinks employment is, is what they want either. But so that's why the collective collective, uh, they want to establish a way and, you know, you got to get lawyers involved and figure out the legalese behind it. But to, to give a revenue sharing model while not making them employees, that that is possible. You, you can do that. Or at least they think they can. That's what they say they, that they can do. But something's got to give. You, you've got to be able to do something and have rules that you can enforce, because as we talked about last time. That's why the NFL is great. I know a lot of podcast listeners disagree with this, but that's why the NBA is great. That's why Major League Baseball has an issue. Because you have teams that could not possibly care less about winning. And they don't, by design. NFL teams have to care about winning. You have to. They, they give you no choice. You have to spend, and you can only spend, if that makes sense. You have to spend a certain amount, and you can only spend a certain amount. You, you cannot tank for years the way major league baseball teams do and and college would benefit greatly from that but if you just allow it to be like it is right now i don't think the pecking order is going to change much because it's already as as bad as it possibly could be parity wise but you're going to lose fans i don't think you're going to lose anything about the structure 
I mean, we've already seen it. We're three years in. Nothing about the structure has changed. But you're going to lose your people. And when you lose your people, you don't have a product anymore. Right. And you've already kind of seen that through the, I mean, trends just, they're really pre predated NIL, like on top of the, all the other stuff about going to games and investment and all that. It's the whole, we don't really know who our roster is. We're not as connected to these guys at the portal. Oh, by the way, we're also being asked to give on top of buying tickets and all this stuff to keep ourselves competitive. It puts a lot of fatigue on the fan. And I guess like the general, you, sense, at one you know, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You have an off season where Lane Kiffin openly says, your best player, Quinchon Judkins, who he targeted and recruited out of the state of Alabama, despite Alabama and Auburn under-recruiting him at best. You identified this kid, he becomes a star, and everybody in the country tries to take him from you. And you had to pay him a ton of money to make sure that didn't happen. And then that, ha- that gets to happen next year as well, because that's how the system is set up. So for an Ole Miss fan, you have – this player that can leave anytime, and you have to worry about that until the portal closes. Will my guy leave? And then you have guys like Walker Jones, who's only doing his job, begging you for money. And so you have that kind of offseason, and then you play Mercer. And I like the FCS games because of what they do for those programs. Mercer needs the Ole Miss game. But the, the people aren't being served anymore. And – I don't think that's a primary focus. I, I mean, did Greg Sankey say the word fan today? Did he talk about the fans at all? Did he use that word today? Not that I can recall. It was also 40 minutes, but to your point, it was certainly not an emphasis anything he said yeah. if he did. I mean, I listened to the entire thing. I don't remember him ever talking about fans. And I know that's not the most important thing right now because he, he has to worry about coaches and players and ADs and stuff. I get it. But when does the when do the fans matter? Because when you again, when you stand on that stage and you say Congress needs to save this, what are you telling your fans? Can't be saved. So ranked, I mean, in order one and two, TV revenue or fans, what do you think most administrators, coaches and schools probably value more? TV revenue. And that's been the problem in all this is that. I mean, the general, general, if you had to put a one-line haiku type, I know a haiku is not one line, but a very short tagline on this whole NIL era, it's basically just like, all right, you go make your own money, but you can't have any of ours. And that's like what where the whole like wedge in all of this is. It's like, because if you do do the whole thing where it's like you meet with these collectives and you try to figure out a way to govern college football yourselves, you're also asking up these, asking these schools to give up a chunk of their TV revenue, which kind of funds the other sports. It's also like they have not been programmed or built or saved at all to not spend every drop of that money because that's just kind of the way they're programmed in the past. It's like, what happens then? And like, we're talking in circles that it's a very complex issue. I just found his stance on Congress is the only way to be fascinating. And if that is what he believes, and if that is ultimately whether like we agree with it or not, what ultimately determines to be true, that is not a pretty picture. No, not at all. Um, yeah, sorry about going down that fan rabbit hole, but but I talk about that a lot. Um, it's a tough time to be a fan. We've, yeah, we've mentioned that a it few is. times. It is. It just because, sucks. Because I grew up – I mean, my, my dad would take me to football games growing up. And we would go to Furman games whenever we could, like basically every Saturday. And then we'd go to one big stadium a year. And so 
that's something that I, I will cherish until the day I die. And I would love to be able to do that with my son. But man, the way it's going, I won't be able to do it the same way that that my dad was able to do it uh, with me. I mean, I, I've he over the years would take the tickets and, and he would buy a program and put them in frame. So I've got a wall of just all these big time college football games we went to over the years. And looking at the prices on the tickets is jarring. We went to an Ohio State Michigan game where we sat on row five and the face value of the tickets are fifty five dollars. And I mean, that's that's five rows up at Ohio State Michigan. And the face value of the tickets were fifty five dollars a pair. Now, I, I, I get it inflation and all that stuff happens but people are are being priced out of college football and i feel so passionately about it because my love for college football started not on not through the television and and i I have i have friends that have older kids who can't watch sports on tv they don't have the attention spans but going to the games is the greatest thing on earth like i've got a buddy that has a seven-year-old son won't watch football on tv because he's seven and he just wants to go like play with stuff and get dirty. But when dad takes him to an Ole Miss game for four quarters, that kid is locked the hell in. And, and when you're creating a system that gives you fewer and fewer of those opportunities, that has such a damaging long-term effect on the sport as a whole. It's happening in the NBA. For example, my Pel- I got a shirt on right now, my Pelicans, right? Watching them play on television is a freaking chore. Like, it, it's it's so hard to do, and it's expensive to watch them on television, let alone go to games. Are you really going to build a long-term, healthy, passionate fan base by making your team hard to see? So Phoenix, I think it's Phoenix, um, bought out their television contract and decided we're putting our games over an antenna for free. Yes, the new owner, Dishpia. That was one of his first things he did once he got the team. That is so brilliant because what that's going to do, it's a short-term sacrifice because they're not going to make as much money on their TV deal. But every middle to lower to poor class kid and family in Phoenix gets to fall in love with the Suns. And, And just wait until they start knocking ticket prices down. College football has such a problem there and nobody's talking about it nobody's serving them the commissioner of the league stood up there and did not mention fans today they didn't say it will lane kiffin talk positively about fans maybe but i don't hear him speak positively about old miss fans very often well he gifted them that great one o'clock kickoff that was a nice that was yeah nice. he gave them that and, and that's not exclusive to lane kiffin by the way no, you not don't at all. hear coaches talk about the thing that pays their bills very often anymore. And it drives me crazy because I just want other people to have the same childhood experience that I did because that's why I love college football and I'll never leave it. But if, if I can't take my son to games, he's not going to fall in love with it the, way, the same way that I did. And that's an important thing that nobody talks about. And it's a shame. What is uh, What was Zach Arnett get asked? Like, if you had to pick, I'm betting on these three questions to get asked by Zach Arnett, whether they're dumb questions, whether they're good ones, relevant ones, what sticks out? It's going to be a lot of Mike Leach tomorrow. That, that's, it, and understandably so, but it, 
it's I his think first he, major event since that's happened. I know he did the bowl game and all that, but this is a national stage and it's kind of the first introduction of him. The bowl game was just a continuation of Mike Leach's right. program for a few more weeks. Um, that, that's going to be the focus. Zach Arnett is dramatically different from Mike Leach. I mean, I mean, could not be more opposite. Um, the athletic uh, Brody Miller, who I think you've had on, on this podcast before. Oh yeah. Uh, good, good guy. Good, talented guy. Uh, wrote a feature on, you know, life after Mike Leach and, and what Zach Arnett is like. And man, it, it is a dramatic change. And I, I frankly, I don't think you're going to get, this is going to sound bad, but whatever. I don't think you're going to get like great stuff from him tomorrow. He He's very football guy. He, he's, he's not going to be loose. And at least I don't think so. That That's not the vibe he gives off. He, he he's very football guy. Uh, but he'll get asked. He'll get asked about Mike Leach and, and his legacy and Mike Leach and his legacy and Mike Leach and his legacy a hundred times over. I'm more curious to hear about the players or from the players than I am Arnett because I want to know from Will Rogers, Barbe versus Leach and what this, the difference in the systems. Uh, and then they got two defensive guys. What's Zach Arnett like as a head coach? I don't think you're going to get anything interesting from Arnett tomorrow. I think the players are going to be far more fascinating. Everything Arnett related is going to be about Mike Leach. And he's not going to give them much because he's so like laser focused football guy that it's, it's not going to be super compelling absent that. What uh he they brought Will Rogers. That's far from a shocking revelation. I mean, the kid's a three year starter, but what he's become accustomed to playing in as far as his system, really since he was in high school is now going to be drastically different. Does he see out the entirety of the year at quarterback? Do you think he can adjust and play? And I hate to say more traditional because that sounds like I'm knocking the air raid, but just something so drastically different than what the air raid was. Well, Zach Arnett swears that they're they're, they're so similar and they're not. Um, you're literally adding a tight end. The offense is, uh, yes, every offense has air raid concepts in it, but no, players say the might, same thing too. Players could go into a wing tee from the spread, and they're like, you know, it's actually not that different. Of course. Same thing I read in high school is one of my favorite lines. The, the thing I go back to with Will Rogers, uh, because it's not fair, but it's true. Um, Mike Leach is so famous and popular because he has taken below average talent quarterbacks and put up ridiculous numbers with them. And Frankly, Will Rogers at the end of last season was bad. He, he was bad last year. He, he was, I mean, but you look at his stats and he threw for a thousand more yards than Jackson Dart and had a great touchdown to interception ratio. So when you look at the stats, you're like, oh, he must have been great. No, mm-mm. that system was just so friendly to quarterbacks that even when they're bad on paper, it doesn't look it. He stunk in the egg bowl. He was not good. at Jackson Dart was clearly the better quarterback on the losing side in the Egg Bowl that night. He was bad in the bowl game. I mean, the end of last year was not good for him. He was really bad in Lexington, for example. And so if that's true, and it is, a system that is less friendly to quarterbacks, are we sure that he's just going to take it and and it's just going to be totally fine? Because that's what people are saying, and maybe it does. It's just as likely that it works out as it doesn't, but I don't think people are spending enough time talking about how it could fail. 
because he is now out of the most quarterback-friendly system that the sport has ever seen. Ever seen. And he's having to do something more traditional, or he's going to have to take more risks, or he's going to have to throw the football vertically. He's going to have to make more complex reads. Can he do it? Sure, he can. But there are too many people that think, oh, no problem. Easy. Done. Yeah. Oh, he'll be he'll be totally fine. Are we sure? No, I mean, there's. I don't think it's a certainty at all. And that's what makes kind of the whole dynamic with them so fascinating as it pertains to the quarterback position. Um, outside of that, we talked about kind of the quarterback flux. There's not really many quarterbacks going to SEC media days. And I think that kind of speaks to the turnover in the conference. Joe Milton being the one outlier, he's not a returning starter, but he's going because it seems pretty clear that he's going to be the starting quarterback. Ole Miss goes on the last day. I think first on the last day, they bring Cedric Johnson, Quinshawn Judkins, and DeAndre Prince. Not really shocking there. I think Jackson Dart probably ends up being the quarterback on, uh, against Mercer, in the first game of the season, but I also understand why given the amount of quarterback talent in the room, they didn't like take him to sec media days. I don't really have a ton that I think is going to be particularly interesting with Ole Miss. Um, as far as this sec media days is concerned, I think Lane Kiffin will probably be fairly good on some of the big picture stuff. He's asked like NIL, like he normally is, but outside of that, there's just not a whole lot to me that's appealing about Ole Miss at the podium on Thursday, which is not a bad thing at all. I mean, you know what you have in Judkins, Cedric Johnson, if he can remain healthy, pretty damn good player. And DeAndre Prince is a nice story, but that's not really going to come out as much in a huge room like that. To me, it's kind of Kiffin and then, you know, eh, okay, the other three guys will be fine. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Kiffin's going to get annoyed at the quarterback questions. Because oh, yeah. he's going to keep getting them and they're going to annoy him and it's going to be his fault, but uh, but but that's okay. Um, I am curious to hear how he answers that, though, uh, just because. um there are a lot of people around here that think that Spencer, I mean, hell, I had somebody ask me today in an interview, so what's Spencer Sanders going to be like in Lane Kiffin's offense? And I, I, I said, I'm not totally sure that you're going to see Spencer Sanders in, in Lane Kiffin's offense this year, but Kiffin created that. And, and I don't know if it's because he's a mad genius that that's going to bring the best out of Dart by bringing in this guy to challenge him like hell or, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very curious to hear how he answers it. He's probably not going to, um, but I, I at least want to hear the question asked and, and how he responds to that. Um, I'm excited to hear from Quinshawn Judkins. I don't think we heard enough uh, from him last year. Uh, I don't he's think he really spoke dude. at all. It's kind of still that old kind of somewhat waning out freshman policy. I don't think he really spoke at all, did he? No, and, and he needs to be the face of the program. I, I, I do think that there's value on Thursday in – launching a Heisman campaign. And I don't mean you have Quinchon sit down and say, hey, you should vote for me for Heisman. But if I were Kyle Campbell and those guys, Quinchon is doing every interview that is asked of him. I would, I would make him work on Thursday because you have this player that is an elite football player. He's electric. He's got balance. He's got speed. He's got power. He is an awesome running back. And he can – with a great year and Ole Miss overachieving in terms of wins and losses, be at the ceremony in New York City. That's that's totally on the table here, and he's interested. Like he, he's he's a smart kid and he's an interesting kid. I would blast him everywhere. I, I would make sure that if somebody asked me, "Hey, can I have Quinshawn?" Yes, yes, you can, because for two reasons. One, because it benefits Ole Miss, having a guy that everybody wants to hear from. And two, 
from a player retention and recruiting perspective. Don't you want Ole Miss, if you're Lane Kiffin and you're the marketing people there, don't you want to be able to sell to players? When you come to Ole Miss, everybody's going to talk about you. You'll be everywhere. We'll market the hell out of you. All these radio shows all over the country will be talking about Q. That's who they're going to be talking about. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to put your name in the portal. You don't have to go to Alabama to get a ton of pub and go to New York and get everybody talking about you and your highlights being all over the place. I know play, I mean, players make their rounds and stuff and everybody interviews everybody, but I would make it a point to put Quinshawn Judkins everywhere. I think it can only benefit your program in terms of marketing and recruiting and, and everything. I, I think it's an important day from that perspective for Ole Miss for, to introduce this guy to people for the first time. And once they hear him talk, once they talk to him, they're going to realize what I just said. Great football player, really interesting and like engaging, insightful kid, too, on top of it all. People are going to love him if they do this right. That's fair. That's something I had not thought about until you mentioned it. I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I agree with everything you said. I got lucky last year when the Grove Collective was doing those player profiles. I talked to him for a bit, but like he really wasn't that like publicly available media-wise. And look, some of that's just 18-year-old freshmen. It's kind of how it goes. Not really anybody's fault. But I guess this will be a little bit of kind of the country hearing from Quinshawn Judkins for the first time. Yeah. And I think LSU, I, like for example, I think he's a fascinating Jaden Daniels kid. today. Sorry to interrupt. I just No, you're good. Jaden Daniels. LSU's quarterback did some interviews, but it was like, oh, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Like they, they treated it as if we're doing these like three stations a favor and then out of here, gone. I think Ole Miss should do the exact opposite with Quinshawn. Have him around. It, that's all. Sorry to interrupt. It just that that triggered my memory of watching Daniels today. Quick in, quick out. Like they didn't want him talking to people. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think Ole Miss will probably do that to some degree. I think it's, you know, a lot of times it comes down to like trust. It's like, what's the kid like? Or do they worry about him saying <laughs> something dumb? And I don't think you have to have that worry with Quinshawn Judkins. I, I think in terms of like the trust they'd have in him to shine on a stage like that, I would say it's pretty high. I haven't really talked to anybody about that, but just reading the tea leaves and from the little interaction I've had with him, it would make sense. There's some others through the years, not so much. And I think he probably saw some of that, but uh, definitely with him. So it'll probably be a little bit of his coming out party just wrapping up here um i was just kind of going through who was everyone was bringing not a whole lot of interest outside of i found milton's gonna be a zoo on thursday (laughs) it's gonna be a zoo here in nashville uh tennessee starting quarterback walking around it's gonna be uh, a spectacle I agree. That one stuck out. I just think year one, Hugh Freeze, uh, he'll do his little downplaying thing, and then they'll probably end up being a lot better than people think. You know, Hugh, year one, Hugh Freeze always wins in these public situations like that. Doesn't always stay that way after the fact, but like year one, motivational Hugh, we're up against it, but we're going to fight like hell and be disciplined and all that other crap. He's pretty damn good in that role, so I think he'll probably be pretty good on Thursday or Wednesday. He will, and yeah, and He's really good at stuff like this, and people, uh, they, they eat it up. They, they, and it's the same people that were there a few years ago when he filibustered. Um, and and they're going to eat the same stuff up uh, just a few years later. But it's weird, you know, talk about Auburn and what to expect from them going into this season. I swear they're going to be 2012 Old Miss, maybe with one extra win. They're going to be in a bunch of games that they probably shouldn't be, but I don't think their roster is ready to win them yet. 
so like I think I think it'll be similar because that that 2012 Ole Miss team, it's like holy crowd, they almost won nine games. They didn't, and they shouldn't get credit like retroactively for it, but they were in a ton of them and they somehow only won six. That's actually my first takeaway, which is crazy in retrospect, given how bad we knew that roster was going in. Like when you look back at it now, you're like, damn, how did they not beat Vanderbilt that night? How did they not pull out a couple of these other ones? How did they only win six? Which is pretty wild. Yeah. I expect the same thing this year on the planes. I I do. I but what's weird is like, I still think that they could go to Cal and lose and then turn around and beat Texas A&M like that, that, that I would buy that completely happening as weird as that is. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, I appreciate the time, dude. Please enjoy the week. Um, If anything crazy happens, please uh, let me know, but enjoy your time in Nashville. Dude, we'll talk to you again for the season. All right, man. Anytime. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate Borky's time as always, as we kind of uh, got our feet wet as the uh, unofficial start of football season is happening this week uh, at SEC Media Days. Got a ton of stuff coming for you. You got another player interview later this week. Going to do some golf as well. Also going to have Weldon on to wrap up SEC Media Days after Ole Miss goes. So a ton of content coming for you uh, down the pipe here. Thanks for listening to this podcast as always. Always appreciate the feedback and the listenership. Thanks, uh, as always, for tuning in. We'll be back uh, on Wednesday.